I am really excited um, to be able to speak to Jean Marie. He is a legendary recording engineer, and um, it's just going to be a privilege to talk to him, to hear his story, um, working with everyone from uh, Teddy Riley, Michael Jackson, the list is endless. So I'm going to bring him in, and we're going to start the interview now. What's going with you? <laughs> Good, well, real pleasure to meet you. How are you doing? <laughs> Blessed and highly favored. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. Are you in the east or west or midwest? Or? I, am in, I am in sunny Los Angeles. Okay, okay. Not sunny from the fire, right? No, it's <laughs> crazy. It's really nutty. It's really bad. Wow. I used to live um, three years in Redondo Beach. Um, before we, yeah, but where is it really burning? What what areas are really? Well, I live up in Valencia, close to Magic Mountain. Okay. And there was one really close by to us. Wow. But there's like seventy fires all over the place. Wow, goodness. Wow. Well, I hope you guys stay safe. It's um, it was never like that yeah. when I was there. We had a lot of smog, but it never the the fires at that yeah. degree. Yeah. It's bad. It could come from all directions. Wow, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, I didn't want to distract. Really, it's um, it's a pleasure again to get uh, to get to you um, on our show. We, oh, um, for those of us who have been, you know, fans of New Jack Swing, you know, it's, you know, you've got the Elvis followers and you've got the um, disco supporters and ABBA and stuff, and the the music that Guy and Teddy came up with created a following and so with that following comes everyone has been a part of it and um for those who are also michael jackson fans you know you tend to get an album and you go through and see all the people on it and your name became very consistent with a lot of stuff that we were seeing some of the big stuff so um but back in those days not much social media so we couldn't tell who you were i didn't think you were french so, <laughs> so but um I got some stories for you on that one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it's, um, what we always like to do is just actually start from the beginning, like, like where you're from and, and, and your journey into it. So, I mean, where, where, where exactly are you from? I was born in France. Okay. So I was born in France, but my heritage is Croatian. So I'm more Croatian than anything else. I was just born in France. So my, my lineage is Croatian. Okay. And okay. Then, we moved to, then we moved to Hoboken. Where's that? In New Jersey. Okay. Okay. And think in 1968, I believe. Okay. And then around 68, 69, we moved to the Jersey City Projects. And there's like a story to this because you can hear my my accent is more very urban. Yeah. And there's a big story to that when you were talking about you didn't know where I came from. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there was a big thing when I left Teddy. When I went to California, they asked me, he goes, yo, so tell me about that female that works with Teddy Riley. I said, what? He goes, Jean Marie. I said, dude, I'm Jean Marie. Oh, Jean Marie. Okay. Jean, yeah, that's right. I said, and they said, oh, Jean Marie, that's you. I said, yeah. <laughs> oh. And then the other one was, I was Haitian. Oh. The other one, I was working with, oh, my God, John Nettlesby and his partner, who did the Coca-Cola commercial a long time ago, my old manager, uh, Patty, said, um, we got a session for you. So I said, cool. So I talked to John Nettlesby, 
And I'm talking to him on the phone. I said, yeah, brother, I'm literally looking forward to meeting you, blah, 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 blah. So we went, to, <laughs> we went into the studio and he came in. He goes, this, uh, I'm looking for Jean-Marie. He goes, I'm right here. <laughs> and he walked out and he walked back in. He goes, brother, I I'm really sorry. I thought you were black. Oh. I said, I said, no, 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 I said, I'm white. <laughs> I said, I talk urban because of where I grew up. I grew up in the projects. I grew up with many, many beautiful families from, from, from Egypt to anywhere in the Middle East, to African-American families, to, to, to down South black families. You know, there was so much, there was so much culture around me. And I think that's why Teddy picked me up so much because he really cared that I cared. Yeah. about the music and about the transition it wasn't about the money for me it yeah. was about the you know when there was there's so many funny stories about when i started working with teddy okay no, well, so funny. but but to answer the question i yeah. was born i was born in france heritage is croatian grew up in jersey city and i was and i'm a i'm a hip-hop metalhead okay. believe it or not i was be i was break dancing and doing metal shows at the same at the same time but we were doing it differently because I wanted more of the funk and soul into into the into the rock. Well, I could say rock instead of metal, really. Yeah. Just have more distortion to it. And something, my best friend Joe Murner goes like this. He said, dude, that's not for you. And I said, I said, you're probably right. He goes, just do what you love to do. It's music. So I just, you know, I was still playing my band. I was thinking about this six months prior to making this final decision. I said to my best friend, I said, dude, I don't know what I'm going to do. He said, man, just go to your guitar teacher and see what he has to say. So this guy named Mabel Dominguez said, if you want to be, you know, I said, look, man, I want to be behind the scenes. But the, the group is not getting signed quick enough. We got signed and dropped at the same time. We were supposed oh. to get signed to ACO. And somebody just took us for, we got took an advantage of. And I decided I want to be the guy behind us here. I really love being in the studio. And I talked to Abel Dominguez and Abel Dominguez turned around and said, he goes, look, man, why don't you go to school for audio engineering? Which I did. And then um, when we got dropped, I, when we got signed, I, that's when I stopped working for the, uh, for the uh, Hudson County uh, uh, Police Department. Okay. So but why, why necessarily did you want to go behind the scenes? I mean, most people are thinking limelight. I didn't see myself shaking my ass at 50 years old <laughs> up on stage. So you were thinking ahead then, you were thinking in a band and thinking, you know, I don't want to be doing this, you know, touring us 50, 60, so let me. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I, I didn't like, I, I, to be honest with you, we got taken advantage of and I hate, and I want to be the person that will help the band members. And I still do this today. I learn from my mistakes. Hmm. Just learn from my mistakes. So I try to, I'm, that's the other reason why I want to be the guy behind the scenes, to piss hmm. people off. <laughs> So, um, did you, how long you went to audio engineering school? For how long were you then there for? Six months, because I thought, so I went in there, and they said that they were going to place me in an internship after I graduate. And there was a kid that was in my class that started working at Electric Lady, and I said, wait a minute, I'm looking at a bunch of kids graduating at the same time, and I don't know, and I didn't know how many recording studios there were. I said, let me, let me take advantage of this. So in the second, the beginning of the second semester, I went to look for an internship and it was um, Crystal Sound Recording, I think on 20 something street off of 10th. Um, I started my internship there. 
And there was another girl named B. I forgot her last name. She was like the valedictorian of the school. And they chose her over me because of the grading. Okay. Um, then this girl, the, lady, the studio manager, Abigail Reese said, I don't like how this is going down. I want to give you an opportunity. So I went to Sigma Sound Studios and it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. That's where I met Teddy Riley. Um, that's where I got my chops. But that that's a whole different story, man. That was everything that happened to me in that amount of time yeah. was I got the job in 1990, May, May of 1990. Oh, wow. May of 1991, towards the end of May in 1991. Yeah. I'm going to Japan on the guide tour. Hello? Yeah, I'm going to I'm going, to, I'm going to Japan on the guide tour. A month later, I'm working on the Michael Jackson record. So mine came really fast. Okay, okay. So, so if we go back... Dying, to- my, story, my story is a really a, an interesting one. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's what I wanted to hear. So you, what did she see in you that she said, I want to get you into the studio? Why, why you, you know, it was just the group, a bunch of others? Well, she... Um, there was me, B, and the owner really liked the girl more than he liked me. Okay. Uh, not, 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 not in that way, just because he felt, because he was very strategic. He was very, uh, Steve Vaviakis, intelligent guy, makes rooms in still New York, I think. And he wants somebody that's on his level. I'm more of a musician. Okay. You see what I'm saying? And I, I feel things out a little bit more. I, I try to portray... Um, like a musician's lifestyle. I don't believe in a lot of things that they were teaching me in school, um, especially when I started working at Sigma Sound Studio. Everything that I, everything came to fruition to me. Mm. So were you picking it up quickly? Because if you would, as yes. a, a, okay, was it because of being a, uh, a guitarist and your amp and the sounds, or what was it about being on the, the turntable? Yeah. Well, it's just like me playing the guitar. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, being a being a being a musician, um, I didn't want to play anybody else's material except for mine. Maybe call me narcissistic about it, <laughs> but I felt that that I wanted to do my own material, and I had to learn my sounds on my own. I didn't know I didn't know shit from Shinola, um, and uh, I think that's what that that's what led me to to think the way I did because when I started working. Um, when I started working at Sigma, I met Tony Maserati and I used to make fun of him. You know, uh, you know he's, he's, a, he's a very good friend of mine. Hold on one second. Um, he's the one I met in July. And I say, he goes, this, everybody says, yo, that's Tony Maserati. He goes, Tony Maserati? Well, if he's Tony Maserati, I'm Johnny Ferrari. I oh, man. <laughs> he found out about it, and he thought he had a great kick out of it. And uh, he started coming more in the studio, and, and Tony is very precise, very persnickety about what he wants in a session. And if it wasn't for him, I would have never met Teddy Riley. Mm. If it wasn't for him. Why, because, why I, like, like I told you, I started in May. Yeah. I'm 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 a runner basically. I'm like the T boy in England, oh, okay. you know, the T boy, right? Yeah. I'm the general assistant that basically does all the runs. Um, he didn't particularly like this one assistant that was on the session, and he called me in in October. So now, mind you, 
May to October yeah. of 1990. He brought me in. He goes, just don't touch anything. I'm going to teach you how to, how to engineer. And I said, all right. So I started touching everything else when he walked out of the room just to piss <laughs> him off. Um, but um, I, I went to the full force session. And that's, that's um, uh, I, went to, I went in the full force session. And that's how I met, you know, uh, Bowlegged Lou, uh, Paul, Paul Anthony. Uh, baby Jerry, the whole full force crew, they took me in and they knew I was an assistant. They did they knew I just started out. They didn't mind at all, but they, they loved my energy. I made them laugh. Okay. Um, anytime when they needed a, a run, when I wasn't the assistant, when they were doing some other session, I'll be the first one to bring this stuff back. They really loved that. They loved that tenacity. And there was another guy named Glenn Rosenstein that really was a, a, a major fixture in my short stint at Sigma. So when I met Teddy, they were doing Keith Sweat next door. And there was this one dude playing the shit out of the Hammond organ. And I said, yo, man, I said, you're a bad motherfucker, man. He goes, this, yo, you, you're the shit. So I brought my guitar out and I started playing with him. It was Teddy. Wow. I didn't know. I said, he goes this. So Tony goes this, do you know who that is? I said, no. Goes, that's Teddy Riley. He goes, yeah, man, he's amazing. No, that's Teddy Riley. I wanna this this I said, really? <laughs> wow! So I was totally oblivious to it, and he loved that because uh -huh. I treated him like a normal person. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's my introduction to Teddy. The next time I met up with Teddy was I heard the I don't get uh, I, I don't want to fall in love remix, and I came running in. He goes, "Yo, that shit's crazy!" And it was Teddy in there. He said, "John, you like this?" I said, "Man, this thing is amazing. This shit's dope. When's this coming out?" And he. Passed me off to that. He goes, I got another copy. Why don't you listen to that for a while? Two and a half, three. Or so, so what happened was I was doing a practice session. And around the same time that Teddy was working with the, the next Keith Sweat record. And um, I'm doing this mix and like that. And they said, runner. Uh, for Studio B, I think it was Studio B, or I think it was Studio A or Studio B. I think it was Studio A or Studio One. Um, I ran in there, I said, "Yo, what's going on?" He goes, "This, uh, this we need something from Carnegie Deli." And Teddy says, "What are you doing?" I said, "Well, I'm, I'm the runner for tonight, so I got to go." He goes, "Runner?" Because I thought you were in the studio. He goes, "Yeah, I'm in the studio." He goes, "But I, yeah, I'm doing a practice session." He goes, "You're doing a practice session." So the next thing I ran to Carnegie Deli. <laughs> Nobody is in Studio One when I dropped all the stuff because they, oh, they want you in Studio Two. I said, oh, shit, Studio B. I said, oh, shit. Teddy was like this, and he hit play, and he turned and goes, that's what I want. And it was the mix that I was doing, and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was just practicing. Oh. And that, and, and I, that led me to do the... Uh, um, the Let's Chill session, which was supposed to be on the New Jack Swing soundtrack that Keith Sweat was supposed to do. Unfortunately, I think Teddy got the phone call that following week or following two weeks that he, you know, he had to do the Michael Jackson stuff. He went to soundtracks and then he went to California right afterwards from what I heard. And I never, I didn't see Teddy till that following May. And then Teddy came back. He said, look, um, I want you to work with me because Dave Way was leaving at that time. And Dave, 
I had to fill in some big shoes, man. I still try to fill in those big shoes. Dave Way is amazing to me. He's probably one of the most amazing mixers I've ever met. Yeah, I think as I think as I said, so a lot of us who know uh, a lot of some of the Teddy stuff would know that yeah, Dave Way was with him with um, Kissing Game and a lot of the yes. early, oh, he, wrote, stuff. He, he wrote the first verse for Kissing Game. Yeah, yeah. So we've seen him. So. He, so he was he was doing the mixing and engineering alongside Teddy with the, in in those in those late eighties, early nineties. He and from what I heard, he picked up Dave Way the same way he picked me up. Wow! Believe it or not, and it was Dave Way who said, "Yo, I think you should pick up Jean Marie. He seems like a good guy." Even though you still were very, uh, still new to the whole thing, didn't. They didn't see it that way. They just saw they saw something different, and I can see I can I can honestly say I was very blessed wow. that I didn't I didn't go by the rules. But did I you know how to do rules. any of the mixing? Did you know how the the cost? I mean, it's a big studio. Did you know? <laughs> well, this, well, see, this is the thing. When Tony Maserati called me stealing the uh, um, uh, uh, the pleasure principle, we had the we had the reels of pleasure principle <laughs> in the tape locker. And he got in my ass saying, did you make a, did you make a copy of this? <laughs> I said, yeah. He goes, no, you didn't. Stop lying. And he goes, well, let me hear it now. Since you got it up, let me hear it now. And he heard, he goes, this, do you know what the hell you're doing? I said, no. <laughs> he goes, what did you, I'm trying to understand. He goes, all right, so all this is coming from the console? I said, yeah. He goes, you didn't use the pull tag? That's why I don't know how to use it yet. <laughs> And he said, goes, dude, this is amazing. Keep at it, but make a backup reel out of anything that you do. I said, okay, I will. He said, bro, this is really amazing. He goes, this, goes, this where's your reverb returning? I said, down here on the faders. He goes, I never showed you that. I said, no, I just didn't know how to patch it in here because I'm trying to figure out the patch bay. He goes, wait a minute. He goes, we've been working three weeks together. Didn't I show you the patch bay? He goes, yeah, but I was trying to do something different. He goes, whatever you did was great. Wow. And then he said, what are you doing here? I said, well, I said, if I use the snare as an effect, I can bring it up on the console and re-EQ it. And that's where people started knowing, knowing me for the busing, the parallel compression and all of that. I was pretty much like the king of that. Wow. That, that started doing that. And if you talk to Dave Pensado, he, he would tell you that I was the king of the, the, the uh, uh, side compression inline compression parallel compression so you, so you you just you had just a knack for like especially because you didn't get it didn't get taught the conventional way you just try to figure out yourself and yep and i watched i, I watched this guy named mike barbiero do it one time and i thought it was the most amazing drum sound i ever heard wow and so teddy goes off because we've heard his story about you know going off to california michael jackson's in in japan or somewhere and then you know while he's trying to come up with stuff and he talks about how he had to rent out multiple studios from Q-Tip just to do mixes of both Jane Child and Keith Sweat and some of the Michael stuff. Were you were you in that same studio or were you in a No, no. Teddy, actually, Teddy, from what I remember, Teddy was doing all the Jane Child stuff at Soundtracks. Okay. And um, the Johnny Kemp stuff was done at Soundtracks. The stuff that he did for Michael... The demo stuff was done, I believe, at Soundtracks. And he went out to L.A. And next thing you know, uh, from, what I, from what rumors had it to me, when I 
this is years, I think a year or two after I started working with Teddy, they locked him into Larrabee, but Lar they were, he had all the rooms at Larrabee. He had all the rooms at Studio One, which was, I think, two, I believe, or one, two, I think. And it was amazing. He was all over LA doing that micro record. He was all over the place. Well, so where were you then? So what were you up to during that time? So what, after he'd, after seeing you, then he goes to see Michael. What were you up to then? I was, I was still, I was, then I started assisting more. And what happened was when Teddy came back, when Teddy came back, I think I'm going to be assisting Dave Way. It turns out that he said, the Luke Eben, who's an amazing producer, he was the studio manager at the time, but an amazing producer. He did a lot of stuff for, um, for Bon Jovi, great guy. He said, no, Sean, he wants you to, um, he wants, he wants you to uh, engineer. I said, get the fuck out of here. I ain't gonna engineer this shit. I don't know what I'm doing. And lo and behold, I became the engineer. I was nervous as hell. Ted didn't show up the first day, but Wayne Cobham, Wayne Cobham did. And Wayne Cobham is Billy Cobham's brother. And Wayne was the, uh, the tech for Teddy at that time. And he says, um, you're Jean-Marie, right? He goes, yeah. He goes, this, um, how do you like working here? I said, I like it. It's great. It gives me opportunity. You know, I'm, I'm still learning. He goes, this, he goes, Teddy's going to ask you to work with him. I said, what? He goes, Teddy Riley is going to talk to you and he's going to try to steal you from here. And I, and which he did the next day. He said, uh, basically he came back for one, two days to take me. And after I said, yes, he booked out another, he, he took all his stuff out and went to soundtracks. He just booked out the studio to take me in, take me out. Wow. That was crazy. And I started working at soundtracks and that was it. So, uh, and the rest is history. So what about Dave Way then? Because w did you know Dave Way prior to, prior to Teddy calling out? Did you know him well and stuff? I only met him when I was working with Teddy. Okay. And I got along with him really, really well. I got along with him really well. He's such an amazing individual. An amazing, he has a very unique ear. Mm. An amazing ear. He's, he's uh, by far probably one of, one, of my, one of my heroes in this whole, in my whole landscape of, of, of my career. Because mm. he, was, he was proficient enough as a musician, but also as a songwriter. He was a big Beatles fan. Big, okay. big Beatles fan. Yeah. So, so what was the first thing that you... So, here you are as an assistant, and next minute you're, you've been called in by a legendary producer to come start working with him. Was there a sense of confidence or nerves? Or what, what was going... For, how was it for you? Uh, it was the oh shit moment. <laughs> okay. Really. And the first thing that we did was the, the Dog Me Out remix. Okay, so that's what. We so we did the dog, dog, dog me out remix, and there was a guy named Fossenkamper, Frank Fossenkamper. There was a guy that was also working with Teddy, and I thought he was going to get the job, not me. It turned out that Teddy took me, and still, um, Mike Fossenkamper, really good, really good mixer, really, really good touch, and it was at the same time, and we did the dog me out remix. And the next thing we did, we did a Let, Let's Stay Together remix. And I'm thinking that, whatever, you know, it's going to only be for a time being because he's going on tour. 
So Teddy said, hey, look, man, I want you to come with me because we're going to be doing the Michael Jackson stuff and I want you to be a part of it. So during the day, you're going to be working, you know, we're going to be working on Guy. And during the night, we're going to be working on Michael stuff. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. In Japan, we got no sleep whatsoever. I was hurting really bad. Um, I said, okay, what the hell do you want me to do on the Guy tour? He says, I want you to have fun. I want you to do the stuff. I want you to do all my sound. Basically, he made a job for me. So what I was doing on the live shows, I was doing drops. And Teddy would be laughing on stage because I'm doing like live mixes. And he, start, and he started shaking his head like, that's it. That's, uh, I pushed the 808 so loud. Oh, it was ridiculous. It was so, <laughs> it was so much fun. But then, you know, we had rehearsals. Um, pretty much every single day. Teddy was very diligent. Teddy was not messing around. He had his sound, has to have the sound right. The girls had to, the dancers had to be right. The key, the musicians had to be right. And they were, and these were these top, top musicians, mostly from the church, the top musicians. We went through three drummers. Wow. Oh yeah. Um, Jeff, I forgot Jeff's last name, but Jeff was the drummer originally. And then there was, Vaughn, I think, was the other drummer. But the drummer that was the guy was Gerald Haywood. He was the, pro he was the production uh, coordinator and assistant on the Guy Tour. The most amazing drummer that you ever hear. Wow. Big Steve Gaffin. He played his kick drum like a hi-hat pattern. That's <laughs> how bad he was. I said, Teddy, why the hell, why the hell wasn't he on, on the original, drum, uh, original drummer? Hmm. He said, I didn't know and that was it. He worked his way in there, though. Everybody wanted Gerald. He was amazing. So I mean, in the butt, but he was amazing. <laughs> what, what, what is it that's so, I guess, for, for, for some of us who don't know the technical side, what exactly was your role then when it comes to when you were on the Dog Me Outs and, and, and the Less Chill remix? What were you actually doing? Mixing. So, mixing and recording. Recording and mixing at the same time and basically learning. So you really learned. You knew the, the the consoles well enough to, to do it. Hell no, oh. not even my I just like I said, I just I was barely there a year. So he was was he looking for a prodigy then, or what was he? Was a white? He liked the way I, he, he he liked me as a person, but he also liked that I was busting my ass, and he liked the fact that what what he was getting at, like because I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. Mm -hmm. And which made it even better because we would always beat each other's mixes out. Like he would try to one up me, I would try to one up him. Me and him were mixing together. So I, whatever, it, it, there's so much, there's so much to this, man. There's so much to this. There's so much background. It's unbelievable. So when Teddy picked me up, Teddy had a specific sound. And I catered to that sound real quick because it came off the SSL not off the outboard gear. We didn't start using outboard gear until I think after the Bobby record. Wow. So, so a lot, yeah, a lot of stuff came off that console. A lot, a lot of the, the Michael stuff, that's a whole different, that's a whole different story. That was, okay. that was, no, we'll get there. But so I, I guess for, for those of us, just so that what, what's really fascinating about your story is the fact that you know, we've thought to you, you know, you, you know, like Bruce Vadine, you know, you knew your stuff, and he's like getting another expert to come join him, not realizing that he's like, okay, you don't know, I'm going to be doing the stuff, I'm going to teach you what I'm doing. 
but you said there was something in you that he just thought, you know what, if I gave him some of those tools, he could probably take it to another level. I think what he did, like, was I was unconventional. Okay. Because Teddy never, Teddy never really knew how to do the console. He figured it out on his own, just like how I did. And that's why we had, oh, that's why our, our tone, our mixing tones from 1991 to about 1994, 95, you can hear the transition of tones. Mm. Yeah. So you're doing the dog me out, you're doing the less chill, you're in Japan. And what, I mean, you know, people like us are thinking, you know, do you, do you have an apartment? Do you have to, you know, still pay your rent? Did you, did you get a contract to make sure you're getting paid? Did you just well, get well, a that, that's so funny. I was, you know, it was so funny. I just turned around 21, 22 at that time. And um, I was about to get an apartment, but I didn't. I was, I said, you know, I talked to my mom. I said, look, I'm going to stay at the house for a little bit. And um, she said, no problem. While I was going through school, I was doing my assistant stuff. I was really lucky that I stayed with my parents. Okay. As soon as I, as soon as I went to Japan, that was it. I stayed with Teddy pretty much almost six, seven months before I got my apartment down in Virginia Beach. We were staying in hotels. I was living in hotels for like almost six months of my first career. Because you were my career. Doing the, doing the tours and stuff? I did. Okay. Okay. It was fun. It was awesome. <laughs> so as you were out on tour, were you picking up and learning and like, okay, now I've got this stuff and, and you, it was coming to you? Nope. <laughs> okay. I just went in there and um, <laughs> when we were doing the Dog Me Out remix, I wanted the kick drum to like really hit you underneath the gut rather than in your gut. So I was doing some other stuff underneath it. And Mike Fossenkamper came up with this thing from, uh, this thing was like ro rotating some stuff. It was really, really cool. He brought that into the fold on that Dog Me Out remix. But I was coming with the ones and twos and the vocals being in, in front of your face. Wow. And that's what Teddy really liked. Also, I didn't use a lot of reverb because I hated it. Wow. So, wait, that, yeah, go ahead. At that time, everybody was using so much fucking reverb. It was, you can drown in it. You might, you, you needed a life preserver. It was so much reverb. And it is interesting because I think those of us who know his work can always tell that his sounds are very distinctive. Either, I know with Dave Way, there was a, the way his drum, the drums used to snap, snare. You could tell that I was a, you know, like a do me right or kissing game or, or, you know, you could go through a lot of things, but you could hear the Teddy sort of, there's a way it sounded like, yeah, this is Teddy, you know, because there was a lot of imitation but you could hear his style being very distinct and stuff. Um, very much so. But you also can understand is how much I had to fill in those Dave Way shoes. <laughs> it's, it was tough because Dave had a, mind you, Dave had a better knowledge of it than I did. He was uh, more of an assistant. Uh, he, was, he, was more, he was an assistant longer than I was. Yeah. So then... You, you're working on the Microsoft. What, what were you working? I mean, what were you, what, what were you guys, what was the, tr the tracks you can remember those early days? <laughs> um, I wasn't even, mind you, I wasn't even supposed to be on the Michael Jackson stuff. Oh, but in Japan, I thought he said, you, you know. He was just, he was, he just, he was basically doing touch-ups. The songs were already picked. Okay. The songs were already picked. He was just adding more production onto it. Okay. 
Yeah, so I was, like I said, but I wasn't even supposed to be on the Michael Jackson record. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so what happened then? We came back from Japan. Teddy said, let's go to Larrabee. I want to introduce you to Bruce. I said, okay, great. He said, look, but Sean. Did you know uh, Bruce Sudini was? Oh, yeah, I knew who Bruce was because I was a big Quincy Jones fan. Okay. And when you went to audio engineering school, you you knew a lot of people that, that you admire. And, and I knew Bruce's work prior to, uh, prior to the Michael stuff, more okay. the Quincy stuff that I knew of, because I was a big Quincy Jones fan growing up when I was a kid, okay. you know, as a musician, because I was, I was, even though I was into like the rock metal stuff and the hip hop stuff, I was also into jazz fusion. Okay. And, and I knew all of the Quincy stuff when I was a kid because of the people I used to hang out with. They were all musicians. They were all jazz guys. And my brother was a big jazz fan. So, so Quincy was instilled with us, but I was mostly into the soundtracks that Quincy was doing. Like Porn, the uh, Porn Broker was one of my, one, one of my favorite soundtracks. Uh, um, uh, Ironside was one of my favorite soundtracks. Uh, um, I wouldn't say The Wiz was one of my favorite soundtracks, even though it's iconic. Um, I really liked what he did for uh, the Bill Cosby show back in the 70s. I really liked what he did with Sanford and Son back in the 70s. And I found out in, in, my, in my early teen years that that was Quincy Jones. And I had a lot of respect for him. The dude came out in 87. I was, fun I was so, in so invested in that record. What a beautifully mixed and mastered record. And that was Bruce Whitting. Okay, okay. And I really loved what Bruce did. Um, and then, you know, when I heard Stomp, everybody take it to the top, we going on Stomp. That was amazing. That was Bruce Swedeen. Wow. And that was Quincy Jones's production. And so he says, I'm going to take you to see him. What are you thinking? Uh, I'm just waiting to meet the man. I'm, <laughs> okay. waiting to meet, I'm waiting to meet the man. He goes, and Bruce was so lovely. I, I love Bruce so much that... Um, I, there's there's a couple people so that was i believe it was either a thursday or a wednesday if my memory serves me correct i i got pretty good information on some stuff that you know i got pretty good memory yeah. it was we came in we went in that night now mind you teddy said look i you're gonna be my tech you're not gonna be my assistant so you can get you know some money from from the label because you're gonna be working with me i said okay no problem so i didn't think i'm ever gonna be on the michael record so i met bruce and he said Bruce, this is my new engineer, uh, Jean-Marie. He goes, oh, and he started talking, and, you know, he's, you know, he's Swedish, and I told him I was Croatian. And we, he, we're listening to the stuff, and stuff sounds amazing. Now, mind you, coming from New York, I've never heard speakers sound like this. When I was in Larry, I was like, oh, my God, I'm home. This is what a studio is supposed to sound like. Wow. See? Now, mind you, I got – we didn't go down to Virginia Beach yet. We went from – New York to Japan to California. And the first thing I seen when I got to California was Larrabee Studios. And I heard that, I said, this is what a studio is supposed to sound like. This is what I fell in love with. Right, that, right there when Bruce was playing it. And Bruce knew I was a, uh, Bruce, Bruce, Bruce knew I was coming. He introduced himself, whatever have you. And then he started, he goes, would you like to listen to some things? Yeah. So I'm like, and Teddy always loved because I was always head nodding, always vibing, <laughs> long hair. All of a sudden, I felt this figure on the side of me, dancing alongside of me. <laughs> it was Michael. 
You're kidding me. <laughs> I said, oh, shit, right? I said, okay, hey, how you doing, brother? You know what I'm saying? Said, hey, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very friendly that way. Everybody knows me. But inside, I'm like thinking, freaking Michael Jack. I was more excited to meet Bruce than I was meant to see Michael. That's how, that's how it was. So we introduced ourselves, you know, my sweetest man ever. God, he was the sweetest man that you ever want to meet in your life. So loving, so giving, so intelligent, highly, highly intelligent. So anyway, so I met Bruce. He goes, well, I'll see you tomorrow. And at that time, we never really started work at 10 o'clock in the morning. With the Michael gigs, we started at 10 o'clock in the morning. That was our, because Bruce started at 10. He never worked, he worked past that certain point. Okay. But we started at 10 o'clock in the morning. I go in there. And now, mind you, I'm not on the session as an engineer or a mixer yet, right? So we brought a song up called Jam because Teddy had to do some touch-ups on it, right? Mm. And, so, and, and at that time, the procedure was, you know, we had a system going in New York that Teddy particularly liked. Now, mind you, I'm only about, about a month working in with Teddy. So what Teddy loved about me when I used to do my slave reels, which is a safety reel, was we put the kicks on one track, the snare on another track, stereo percussions, bass, stereo, uh, stereo keys, right? Uh, stereo background vocals and a lead vocal, right? So I would mix that down then bounce it down to eight, eight I think it was that 12 tracks, maybe 10, 10 tracks. Mm -hmm. And I did that preparing it. A guy named Renee Moore came into that morning session. Okay. I don't know who Renee Moore is. I didn't put two and two together. That's Renee and Angela, one, and that Renee wrote on jam. Okay. <laughs> so I'm doing this. He goes, who are you? I said, I'm Sean Marie. I said, he goes, I'm Renee. He goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm making a slave reel. He goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm making it sound, so, making it sound right so Teddy can go and get, get with it. Because do, do you mind if I hear what you're doing? I said, well, yeah, sure. It's just a, it's just a, quick, uh, you know, just a quick mix down. And he heard it, and he ran out the room. <laughs> And I'm like, oh shit, I'm I'm fucking fired. <laughs> the next thing I see was Renee, Bruce, Michael, and Teddy he goes play that joint. And they said, oh my god. And Michael turned around to me, goes, are you Italian? I said, no, I'm Croatian. Because <laughs> you look Italian, right? <laughs> and he's listening to it, and he goes, this. Bruce goes, this is wonderful. Give them all the tapes. Wow. I said, come again? He goes, give them all the tapes. Get them to start mixing. And that was it. Wow. That's, that's how I got on the Michael Project. Because I was thinking differently. Wow. So, so, so you, you did the, the seven, did you do the seven tracks? Uh, they, or did you have to Yes. Yep. And at that time, Bruce pulled me off on the side. He said, look, we're not going to be able to give you mixed credit because of certain things. I said, Bruce, I'm just happy to be here. He said, but I am going to give you the, there's so much to this record that's, I thought I was going to get fired three times on this record. And Bruce pulled me off his side. He goes, but we're going to give you the, we're going to give you some engineering credit. I said, fine, no problem. But Teddy always knew that me and Dave and Bruce and Teddy mixed those records of hits, of Teddy's. Okay. Okay. But it's just the politics of how things are in those days. And it was like, yeah. you know, you're thinking yeah. about the pictures. But I didn't you know? mind it. 
I didn't yeah. mind it because I know what I did, you know, and, and, I, and I speak my truth and people know the sound because people always take this, I see where Teddy got his sound from. The only yeah. difference was that my 808s were a little bit louder than Bruce's, but Bruce, I knew, understood why Bruce did that. Mm. He goes, so his philosophy is we save it for the remix because remixes were a lot of money back then. Okay, okay. Yeah. That's why if you hear the, if you hear our, our, our um, Keep It in a Closet remix, that thing is phenomenal. And mm. I was, and here's the other thing. Teddy gave me, a, Teddy was the first person to give me my remix credit as a remixer. Oh, so, you, okay, so you did, okay. Oh. And I didn't know what the hell I was doing on an MP. I said, <laughs> he goes, he goes, do you know what you're doing? I said, no. So you're just learning <laughs> as you're good. Now, we knew there were seven tracks that came out on the album, but were there more that you did that didn't make the album that you guys still worked on? Yes. Someone Lay Your Hands Out. Okay. It was a make song. Um, and Joy. He did actually record that because we, we, we tend to just hear the Black Sea version. He actually made a version of that. Incredible. Wow. Absolutely incredible. Mike was, Michael was a perfectionist. <laughs> and ain't nobody touching him. I don't care. And I've worked with so many great singers yeah. in, my, in my last 30 years or 20 some odd years. Yeah. Um, no one's touching Mike. Nobody. Was, was he nobody when you when was he very hard working in the studios i mean was he considered was or was he you know he was you, on point he was on point he was he was a consummate professional but to get him in the studio to, to do vocals especially when i was working with him on uh with rodney on the invincible record it mm -hmm. was he had to feel the right moment okay and then when he felt that he he was on it but this guy would turn around and leave the studio and he'll be in Germany six hours later. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's, that's how it was. We thought he was going to come back. He didn't come back at all. Yeah. Teddy was, but it took, after a while, you, you forget that he is Moonwalker Michael Jackson and just see him as a singer and just focus on the work. He can do anything he wants. <laughs> okay. So okay, you finished it. Did you guys get nom did you guys get nominated for a Grammy on, on the Dangerous album for engineering? We did. Okay. How did that feel? Well they did. Well they did. I didn't. Oh they didn't mind okay. you. The politics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And that changed. If every if we if if that was today we would all got a got a okay. little bit. Okay. So you finished the, the, the micro stuff. Um what what are your folks thinking about the family that you, you one minute you're, you know, one minute you're, you're learning that you're in the studio. And you don't want to, you, you, you don't want to, my mother said to go get a real job. Oh, even when you're telling her that you're mixing for Michael Jackson, she didn't think it was anything? Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Exactly. <laughs> so you finished the Michael stuff. Um, how long did that take you guys when you're out in, in, in L.A.? We, we were actually finishing up some of the mixes out in Virginia Beach, and then we were sending everything out to Bruce. And then Bruce finished it up, I think it was September. Okay. September, October. So after you'd finished that uh, back in Virginia, what, what, did you, what, what did you start working on next? The Bobby record. And, the, and also, oh, that, that was another thing. That, that summer of 91 was ridiculous. 
<laughs> we were doing Rump Shaker at that time. Oh yes. And doing yes. the we were doing Rump that we were doing Rump Shaker. Um, we were doing Rump Shaker and we were doing the Bobby Brown album at the same time. Now you moved from Larry to to Teddy to set up his um, Future Studios in Virginia Future. Beach. Yep. What was the it, it, it wasn't like Larry. I mean, what was it? Was that what was there a difference? Did it have? It was amazing. I miss that studio so much. It was probably the most perfect studio I've ever been in. Wow. I miss the studio. Especially the, orig the original way that, um, oh my God, the desk doctor, what is his name? Oh my God. He was the tech at Larrabee and he made the rooms. Him and John Carter made those rooms. And Teddy's room was freaking perfect. Perfect. We had Prince's old E-series board. Oh my God, that thing was singing. That's where you hear all the dog me out. That, that's where you heard, um, well, at that time, before we started on the Rex and Fex stuff, we did, um, Is It Good to You, Tammy? Tammy, that was my mix because Teddy had to run back to LA. I did that mix on my own. I was scared shitless. I thought Teddy was going to kill me. I was scared. And he goes, this, John, you killed it. So this, now mind you, we're only working together four months, uh, for less than a month, like four or five weeks. Wow. And he loved, that's why me and Teddy are still, you know, he's my brother to this day. We still talk to this day. Wow. We talk about things all the time. Wow. Uh, you know, different, different scenarios, different things. And um, that room was oh, such a great room. Yeah. When I went back, after I left, uh, Mind you, I was only there from 91 to about 94, 95. Um, when I left, Teddy redesigned the room, and he hated it, and I hated it. Oh, my God. I couldn't stand the room. <laughs> okay. it was, they, put, they put a fucking J-board in there. I couldn't stand that J-board. <laughs> okay. Oh, no, I couldn't stand we, we, But before we go forward, let's just go back. So you, you're doing – because that, well, that was a very powerful year for you. For, for Teddy, I mean, he, he's just yeah. got Michael, he's got Rum Shaker, which is number one, and then he's doing the Bobby album, which is probably one of my top three sort of Teddy productions, the the Bobby album, the um, right. Keep Sweat album, and the first Blackstreet album. But going to, going back in, the, the what was happening, did you just have, did he have just so much work coming in because he's done Michael, so he was just, what was it like for you guys in, in those early days and... If you ever talk to Teddy, he'll tell you. This is how much we work. I had an apartment in Virginia Beach, and he'll tell you where I used to sleep. I used to sleep underneath the console, literally, because that was the warmest place in the studio, and that was the last place that Teddy would find me. What was that? I would sleep underneath the console, underneath the SSL board. To escape or to hide or what? To get some rest. We would, we would, we, we would be up, literally, Four days in a row. Wow. No drugs. If you if, if Teddy if Teddy saw that you were doing some the only the only vice I had back then I was smoking cigarettes back then. If Teddy found out that you were doing drugs, you're fired. Wow. No questions asked. You're leaving right there that day. That's why he loved about me because he knew I didn't drink. He knew I didn't smoke. He knew I smoked cigarettes, which he hated. <laughs> which he he was so happy when I stopped. <laughs> now mind you, I had a, I had a wine upon occasion, but never on the job. Wow. Never on the job. So what were you guys working on? Because that you're saying, because I know that you had the, the Rex, the Bobby. What, what was else? What was, what was? 
Well, the Rex and Effect thing was more family. We were locked in. That whole summer, we were all locked in. We had like, we were thinking about 15, 16 songs deep. We were locked in. It wow. took about two and a half weeks just to print out um, uh, the Rump Shaker mix. Oh my God. Because you know, when Teddy goes in on a remix, <laughs> it's not just one version. It's five. <laughs> yeah. I've seen some of the first Black Shoot out of the, 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 the um, yeah, the fun of the was not playing, man. Teddy, yeah, Teddy's a Teddy's a genius, man. People don't understand his genius now. He's so far ahead of everybody. He's about ten years ahead of everybody. Yeah. So, so you, so you, you, you're doing the the, the Rex effects. What was it like when you met, you know, Kill and, and and the rest of the guy? Did they did they embrace you? They said, Teddy, who's this guy you just brought in? What's oh, what was that like? When I first met Markel and Akil, I met them right when Teddy hired me that that day and we we were brothers you know it's uh, i get emotional about it like they took me in like i was their own wow yeah it was uh it was very special and i still talk to akil and markel today okay they're very close to me that 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 whole family is very close to me my nieces deja deja taj and bobby i was i was there when when um when when Ta when Tasia was born, wow, wow, oh yeah, that that we're we're more family than anything else. He was never my boss. He was my brother. He still yeah. is my brother. Yeah. So you, you did the the Rex effect. You do that as soon as were you doing? Were you guys doing album after album? So you finished Rex effects. They finished. Yeah. And you do the bubble. So you don't just do three, four different albums and artists all at the same time. Well, what was happening in that ninety one, ninety two? Oh God! There was so much stuff going on. We were still doing. We were doing Michael Jackson mixes. We were doing Michael Jackson remixes. We would get, you know, prepping up for Michael's tour, which we were supposed to go on. And I told Teddy we can't do it because we got too much stuff. I got yelled at by by Harvey Austin. God rest his soul. Harvey was so mad because Teddy was going to make about one hundred fifty thousand dollars a week, and I said, Teddy, we owe a lot of records, and. We need to get this shit done. That's why me and Teddy were so still to this day close because we had a lot of shit to do. And plus, he didn't want to go on the road. He just got off. He just got off of a hellacious tour with Guy. Yeah, it was it was pretty bad, and uh, that's when Guy broke up. Yeah. So he didn't want to go back on the road again. He wanted to stay in the studio and make some make records. Yeah. He did say that he Michael wanted him to be his music director, but um, yes. He, yeah. Okay. But then he Michael was disappointed when he couldn't go on it. Um, but yeah, it would have been a waste if, you know, if you're going away and just focusing on, on a massive year and a half tour and not putting out any stuff. But then, so you, he was considering it, but you, the, you were the sort of the same voice saying, no. We got a lot of shit to do. I told him we got a lot of shit to do, man. What did you have in the pipeline that she was going to leave? Bobby. Okay. And, um. Then he was doing some other remixes for a lot of people. He was doing some stuff. Oh, God, I, if I could, there was so much stuff back then. Um, a couple of soundtrack stuff. We were doing also the Soul Train, new Soul Train uh, um, theme for Don, Don Cornelius. Um, wow. Teddy was working with a lot of people back then. I, I, my memory's good, yeah. but not that good. So let's talk about the Bobby album, because it's, as I said, it's, if I had if oh, I yeah. had three three Teddy albums, I would have said Bobby album, the Keith Sweat album, then the first Black Street because that took a lot of that took a lot of our time. 
the sound on 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 the seven the six seven songs that you guys worked my favorite of all them is one more night i mean i was it, just listening to that the other day it, it is my, my favorite. favorite i mean it's been six minutes long because it can't six and a half minutes so it can't make it on the radio but it's it's just it's yeah <laughs> can you talk about that 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 song when teddy wrote that I still remember it. We started it late that night, and he didn't get done till about two or three days later because he was fine tuning it. Then Bernard Bell came in and and, and wrote uh, wrote those wrote the wrote the song with uh, with Mary Brown came down, Mary and Marsha came down. They they were there were there was, it was everybody was down there. Big Bub was down there. Wow. Everybody, everybody was down there for that. Everybody, everybody was down there for that. For the album, for all the writers. I mean, Teddy, Teddy, 1991 to 1994. That Virginia Beach was a music factory. Yeah, and we had so many people down there working with us. Teddy would Teddy would rent out these places, these that that these uh, apartments, so everybody could be working at the same time. And they would come in and drop some stuff, and that's it. There was so many people. There was there was a lot of influences down there. A lot of influences. Yeah, the one thing that we noticed is that he he had a, a consistent team with Tammy Lucas, Mary um, Mary Brown, Marco McCulloch, and um, who would sing background, who would co-write Bernard Bell. You, you mentioned it. It seemed as if he he he, he had a crew that he, he kind of oh, worked yeah. with. Um, was Bernie Ber 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 Bernard was always there. Okay. Bernard was always there at that time. Bernard was always there, and then Bernard went to do some other stuff later down that road. Yeah, so with so with yourself, so especially the Bobby album, um, what was the what was that like then? Because as I said, the the sound of that album is it almost sounded like the instruments were it was recorded like live instruments compared to it was didn't seem as manufactured. Um, what so there's something about that album that was really and he actually got nominated for producer of the year for that album for for his, his tracks on those albums. So that that's, that's how highly they was. I think at that point in time, Teddy was enlightened because we just came off the Michael record, and he was uh, he was up there. He was up there. He he had he was so focused you couldn't talk shit to him. When Teddy goes like this, when I call it the blinders, mm -hmm. it was just me and him, eye to eye. That was it. Nobody else could talk to him. Nobody. He was so focused. It was ridiculous. The sounds that we used to get. Um, and mind you, a lot of the Michael, Michael sounds we both made, you know, like we made sounds. And with, at that point in time, Teddy found this thing called the vocalist. I said, Teddy, what happens if we put it like stereo, right? Mm -hmm. And then Teddy would say, well, what happens if we get three of them, left, right, and center? And that's what you hear on Bobby's record. We were the first people to start using the vocalist. Wow. It sounded, as I said, that's why it sounds, I mean, it's still my favorite favorite album and, and I actually only listen to the seven tracks because it sounds really, it has a very distinct sound on, on that. One My Night as a Plenty is my favorite track on, on that. With, so when you, were you there when they were doing the recording as well as so? I was recording it. Okay. I was I was recording and mixing. I was everything now. I was the my I was my own assistant. I was the uh, the engineer. I was the project coordinator for the thing. We would we were working. There was nobody's like titles. We just got the job done. Wow. 
that's how I was working 24 seven. I'll be in there recording. I'll be, my eyes will be clo closed and I'll, I'll be <laughs> cutting, you know, dropping stuff in and out. Teddy would be always in there recording with me. So then when, because Rum Shaker's biggest song in the country that, that year, then he's, he's out promoting it. Then are you on, you're on your own? You had other a, a a people joining in? I would be down there. He would tell me what to fix. John, I need you to bring this up. Fix this. John, I need you to do this. John, I need you to do that. No problem. My pager was always, at that time, everybody had pages. My pager was always going. Always going. Never a dull moment. And Teddy would be in, and Teddy would be out. Now, mind you, at that time, Blackstreet was starting to come together. Okay. 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 So There was a lot. There was a lot. Yeah. So, I mean... So, did I mean when you think about the albums? I mean, you know the, that you were, so you did the the, the Bobby stuff. Um, then you move on to the was it Black Street? Was that the the next thing that came up after Bobby? Or well, pretty much. Yeah. So I mean, I, the remix for the SWV, um, um, so into you, right? That 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 was a big that was a big one for them, and I think there was a remix for. Um, for Mary J's stuff from her album and stuff, but I was gone by then. Oh, you were gone by then. I, okay, I was gone by then. Okay, but you did you did the Black Street albums? Did the first Black Street album? No, I did, but I never got credited for it. Oh. Okay, so so what was it? So after the Bobby, what what was the next thing that you worked on with 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 Teddy? Yeah, I was pretty much doing all the Black Street stuff, but we had um. It was time for me to go. It was time for me to go. There was a lot. There was a lot of politics down in Virginia Beach that I wasn't really part of because you know he knew I was always crazy. Um, Teddy always would. Teddy would tell you that I was a little bit off. Okay. Because yeah. I didn't take no bullshit, and I just said, "Ted, not, this ain't for me." So I did what Dave Wade did. Either I was going to go to New York or I was going to go to California. I chose California. Okay. Okay. It was easy for me to go to New York. It was harder for me to stay in California. So I up and left, and the next thing I did was uh, I did the Bell Bib DeVoe Hoodie Mac record. And then after that, I started working on Aaron Hall's new album, and I started coming up with my own name. People started hearing the difference in my sound. People started liking what I did, and that's because of Teddy Riley. So then what, what was it that you... Um, so when you moved to L.A., I mean, did you just then... Go to a studio and say, "Can I get a job?" Or what? I mean, I don't know how it is for you guys. It's not. It's not. No. So I how did you guys? Basically, basically, people heard that I was available. Oh, okay. And Teddy did not want me to leave. By the way. Okay. Teddy, Teddy didn't want to happen. What happened with Dave Way? He kept me really close. He kept it really close with me. He did not want me to go. I mean, we we had a system. We were we were killing it. Yeah. It's just that certain people that were down in Virginia Beach were, how would I say, I couldn't get along with them. And I get along with everybody. Yeah. Because I think, as I said, for a lot of us who follow the music, we could tell the difference when he had Dave Way. We could tell the difference with the sound. Then when you came on board, we could tell the difference with the sound up to the, Black, the first Black Street album. And mm -hmm. I think subsequently, the sound so, somewhat changed um, and so you could just tell sort of a, a shift, but you, you, unless you're in there, you don't really know why there's a change and stuff. So you go yeah. to, yeah. So you but go to, the, go ahead. 
Yeah. One of the best, one of the best Black Street records that I heard that Teddy did. It wasn't even a Black Street record. It was actually a Guy record that he came out with, Guy Three. That was probably one of my favorite mixes that Teddy did. It, when I left, there was a bunch of people going in there trying to mix for Teddy, and Teddy feeds off of energy, and I think the energy was just a little bit off. The one person that I really loved. Uh, after I left and when I because I came back actually two years later three years later I was doing the we did the I Get So Lonely remix together we oh, did uh, the wow. Queen Pin remix together I never got credited for it but I was down there for that because Teddy wanted me to come back home and um, I was making a pretty decent name for myself and had a little chip on my shoulder and I wanted to, I wanted to keep doing it I didn't want to work for one person I figured that I can get send my talents and enhance different producers' <clears throat> abilities so we can rebuild our community. Mm. So you did the, okay, I get so lonely remix. Okay. And, um, but so you came back, worked a little bit, but then you started to, so who, 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 where did you go? Back in LA, starting to make a name for yourself there. Mm -hmm. And um, I noticed you did some stuff with Rodney. Oh, yeah. How did, so how did that, 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 that connection? I bumped into him in, um, at Enterprise Studios. I said, uh, you Rodney Jerkins, right? He goes, he goes, yeah. I said, I'm Sean Marie Horvath. He said, what? And he knew who I was. <laughs> okay, oh God. That was it. He's amazing. <laughs> Rodney's amazing. So did, yeah, so did you did the, um, did you do Invisible with him? I did. I did. Okay. I was. I was. We were part of the whole writing camp for Invincible, where me, Harvey Mason Jr., went to the junkyards to make new drum sounds because he knew I made drum sounds on the Michael record. Hmm. Yeah. So it was. It, yeah. It had that that sort of kick and stuff. Did Michael re 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 recognize you when he saw you again? He did, but he didn't. You know what I'm saying? He did. He didn't. At that time, I cut my hair really, really short. Okay. Um. I was more. You know. I was more cut up. I was actually into more physical fitness and shit like that. So okay. I wasn't as skinny as I was when when he first met me. I was more built. That was many moons ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what was the difference? Because now you're doing the Invisible album and you're working with Rodney on 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 his tracks, but then Teddy's doing you know about three, four, five, or six tracks as well. Okay. He didn't come in till afterwards. Oh. That was Rodney's record. So he was supposed to do everything. And he and then Michael brought Rodney Michael brought Teddy in to finish up the album. Oh, was there a reason why? Not too sure, because I, I I left because when you in, in our field, if you get caught up doing one album, you lose out on a lot of stuff. So with Rodney, when we were doing the Invincible record, he asked me to be a part of it. Literally, we, I was out of pocket for two and a half months doing that Michael record in the writing stages in Studio One, uh, record one in, uh, in LA. Hmm. And I didn't see my apartment and I lived in LA. We all slept at the studio to get it done. Hmm. And I felt that I had to get away from it hmm. because I was missing out on work. And there was a lot of there was a lot of things going on 
budgets and this, this and that. And, you know, a, lab, a lot of label stuff was really happening. And, and I told Ronnie, I said, Ronnie, look, I got to go. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, with, I've spoken to other people about the Invisible album and how Michael saw the, the politics change for him. But I, oh, yeah. so he didn't get the backing and stuff. So I can imagine. But you said he, so Ronnie was supposed to have done the whole album, but then he probably didn't, he just decided, you know, let me get Teddy back in to do some of the. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So just, I mean, this, this, yeah, so that your, your journey then, I mean, you, you've learned, you've honed your crafts, you know, working with Teddy, um, you're moving around and stuff. When you look back at all the tracks that you've worked on, um, would you have an album or that you'd say, you know, this was my favorite album that I really, that this is me? Um, in the New Jack era or my era? Well, okay, we can start off with the sort of the New Jack and then, and now just overall, but just if you think about those back then. Probably the one thing that stood out to me that I, I that I finally got it in such a small amount of time was um, the um, the Remembered Time remix that we did. Because <laughs> I, I was brought in also as the remixer. Okay. And Teddy really taught me a lot. In such a, I, I, I don't realize how much he taught, how much I learned in such a small amount of time and how much trust that he had in me as his mixer, as his engineer, as his right hand ace. You don't realize how you don't realize it until years later, wow. and I kind of noticed it because the mixes that we gave to Michael were not the mixes that made the record, and I didn't quite understand why, because it it was kind of dumbed down a little bit. The mixes that me and Teddy did were like so much more stronger, but then as politics reigns, I figured out why. It's because it was a succession. You get the remixes to do, to build it up, so. You, it's more of a uh, more of a, a financial thing. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah but where the real true Teddy Teddy isms came out was when I mixed "Say My Name," and that's when that's that's when me and Teddy were really working hand in hand, and I kind of surpassed everybody's vision on on that song. But the true record that really stood out for me, and 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 it's still I use the same philosophy as do today, to to to, to to use to this day. Excuse me. Yeah. Is the first Robin Thicke record. Okay. That to me is probably, in a nutshell, what I learned from Teddy, what I brought to the Robin table, Robin Thicke table. And um, we did so much stuff. There's so much. I, I don't even remember how much stuff I did in the '90s until really talking to you right now. I was like, wow, I did a lot of stuff. And I, I can't remember after stuff I did. And I, and I tried not to work a lot either. I was not trying to, I was not trying to work all the time. I tried to give myself, cause I'm more like a, a hippie back then. You know, I call myself a bougie hippie um, because I, I wanted to learn more. Yeah. And I studied more records. I like literally studied records and not one genre, yeah. just different genres. Uh, to get to where I'm at to this day. Yeah. So it's the Roman thick. Okay. So, I mean, I guess what's, what is fascinating is the... Teddy uh, actually commented on that too. But did he? <laughs> he, he, he loved that record. He couldn't believe I did it. Now, I, and I guess, I guess 
because I, I heard um, Terry Lewis talk about, you know, he was naming producers and what he mentioned about Teddy was about Teddy, not only as a musician, but the technical side of his, his stuff. And I think people like us who aren't really, you know, we think of a producer who, okay, you're playing the drums and stuff, but we don't understand the engineering and the mixing side of it, which most producers like weren't doing, but he seemed to be doing. He's unbelievable. He's the guy, I still, to, to, you know what? I brought something out. <laughs> this is what Teddy gave me. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I brought it out just for you guys. That's why I started the drums on the, uh, on, on the, the, um, the, uh, uh, Remember the time drums. Wow. He gave me the PC. I still have it. <laughs> he did say that he loved building computers and taking it apart and, and, and creating He's a time. genius. He is a genius. I'm trying to tell you, it's like, I don't think people realize how his brain works. He, he, he figured out the SSL before anybody else could have uh, to ever explain to him. He did better than some of the engineers that tried to quote unquote try to teach him. Mm. And I think that's why he liked about what he liked about me, because I didn't know too much about it. I just went and started messing around with stuff wow. that sounded good. Yeah, I, I was talking to uh, Timmy Gatlin, who formed guy who, who, who knew Teddy since they were kids and they formed guy. Oh. And uh, yeah, and he was uh, talking about how um, Teddy called him and says, come over to the house. And he, he had created Groove Me, the, the, the whole mix and the whole song. And he's just like, wow. And he said, Teddy says, write, write the lyrics to it. And, you know, he wrote it. Like, but he commented about the, the, the musicianship. You know, he said he saw, oh, he saw Teddy playing as a, like maybe a 12-year-old with grown men. And he was out playing them. So it is amazing that you have people with that type of skills and stuff. A lot of people don't realize that Teddy was producing when he was 11 years old. Yeah. A lot of people didn't know, a lot of people did not know that he, rumors had it, and I heard it from a lot of people, Teddy was at, Teddy was actually in Jersey City where Cool and the Gang was from. And Teddy was actually playing with Cool and the Gang and writing back then. And he's crazy. Teddy was nuts at 11, 12 years old. Um, kids at work was when he was 13. Yeah. When he did that, da, 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 yeah. the show, I think Teddy was about 15 years old. Yeah. You know, so it's like, you know, it, it's, it's funny. It's funny how, how people didn't know his hidden genius. Yeah. But what is, what is interesting now? So what about, what, what you, about yourself now? Are you moving away from engineering and, and mixing into the production side? Or what, 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 what are you doing now? I... I still, my bread and butter is always mixing, but I, I, I do a lot of production. I do a lot of ghost producing back about, maybe about 10 years ago, a lot of people didn't know, and pretty much anything I did back then had a little taste of what I normally do, like just enhancing. I wouldn't say production enhancing, but I did a lot of ghosting. Um, when I left Teddy, I produced a rock record for Gary Howie. Um, I started doing more production when I left, Virginia Beach, I tried to become a producer with my lovely MP, and at that time was JV80. 
and people said that that's I sound too much like Teddy. Uh, and I said, well, shit, I, you know, damn, man, I, I did work with, uh, with <laughs> one of the greatest guys in the world. So they just wanted to keep me down a little bit and frustrate me. And then years later, um, about two or, th two or three years ago, about, about two years ago, sorry, two years ago, um, I was working with Molly Mall, not Molly Mall. Okay. Molly Mall, the, the, the other guy, the other Molly Mall. Uh, <laughs> not, not the vintage one. The, okay. The new guy. <laughs> okay. And he heard from somebody say, yo, I heard that you do tracks because I just did a mix for him. He didn't know who I was until uh, Claudio Aquinas was like this. goes, dude, this guy did Michael Jackson, did all the stuff. Mm -hmm. So and he goes, but you should really listen to his production. And Molly Mall said to me, he said, I heard that you got tracks. I said, yeah. So I sent him the tracks. He said, dude, this is, this is a little different. Because I, I, I'm when I produce, I produce very differently. I have a different mindset, obviously, after having our conversation. <laughs> so he said, hey, can you do something for me? I said, yeah. He goes, can you flip this one track for me? It's called Side to Side. And it was from uh, Three Six Mafia. I said, yeah. I said, but I have to do it my way. I'm not trying to, you know, sample this or anything. He goes, no, I don't want you to. I want you to do it your way. He gave it to Sway Lee. It turned out to be Power Black. And I thought I was going to get ghost production on it. He said, no, nah, you're not doing ghost productions no more, brother. You're getting full production. Wow. And that's how it happened. So really, that track was produced by me and Molly Mall, written by me, Molly Mall, and Sway Lee. Wow. And then the other, the other cast of writers that were on there, which is basically... Uh, Juicy J and um, uh, his brother, Slim. Okay, so is is that so? Is that now what you? Because I saw we did you do the country stuff? The... Yeah, the country trap stuff. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I so uh, and please guys, uh, I don't know when this is going to air, but you know my one of my friends, really close friends. Um, Uncle Brown got into a major accident, and I, we just need to pray for him. Um, he's a very special person. I met him about almost two months before his, you know, before the Giddy Up, the, the Get Up came out. Wow. And um, an amazing songwriter, an amazing songwriter, not country, just the, just in general. Yeah. And uh, I started doing this track, these tracks. I said, you know, let me try to do a joke, and the joke. The joke was on me. So it's like that we came out with a song for this girl named uh, Caitlin Page, KP. Yeah. And it's called, a song called Daisy Dukes. I did five of them. Uh, five country country trap tracks. Yeah. My trap version of it. Yeah. And then we also did uh, uh, a trap metal record. Okay. With, with this girl named Babe Animal that's hopefully going to come out relatively soon called Riot. Wow. My goodness! So, it's, uh, no, I did hear. I did hear, and I, I was like, "Wow!" I didn't realize you could you can transition from engineering and mixing into sort of production and, and stuff. Well, I think a lot of it is because I don't. I'm not. I'm not your true engineer. Yeah. I'm not a true mixer. I'm. A, I'm a musician. Yeah. That happens to mix and engineer. Yeah. That's the difference. Okay. I don't think conventionally. Everybody tries to think with numbers. I said, like when people say, "Oh, that's a two K, four K." It could be fucking special K. I don't give a shit. <laughs> that's, that's okay. It's there's high, high mids, low mids, and lows. 
because yeah. the high mids is kind of funny. If you could tell me what frequency that is, then you can hear Nats fucking. Yeah. Right? That's, that's a bunch of, that's somebody trying to be smarter than the other person in the room to think that they know what they're talking about. Yeah. I don't go for that. I'm not that type of dude. Yeah. That's the reason why Teddy loved me so much because I didn't <laughs> give a shit who was in the room. I yeah. didn't care. He knew I didn't care that Michael was in the room. He knew I didn't care. He knew I needed to get the job done because when I first got into the industry, I got starstruck twice in the same day. Once I met Ziggy Marley, because I was running the desk at the time when I first started working at Sigma. Yeah. And the other one's when I met Raquel Welch. Okay. <laughs> and then the guy goes like this to me who was working. They goes, they're just people. Get over it. And I never forgot that. Mike wow. Scalcione told me that. He said, get over the fact that these guys are stars. And from that point on, I never, never treated anybody like a star. Yeah. I treated them just like a normal human being. That, that's why me and Michael got along so well. Mm -hmm. That's why a lot of people that work with me so well. I don't, I don't give a shit what you, you know, your, your job is to entertain. Yeah. I'm not here to, to, to pacify them. I'm here to try to make hit records. I don't give a crap. Yeah. And that's what I learned from Teddy. Teddy didn't take that shit. That's one thing that Teddy taught me. He goes, this, listen, John, they want a hit record by all means necessary. <laughs> so when I, when I, when he asked me, I still, this is what he told me. He goes, what do you want? I said, well, I want to be a producer. He goes, I'll help you with that. And then months later, he goes this, your production is going to be your mixes for now. That's how you're going to get paid right now. This is what Teddy told me in 1991. Mm. He goes this, you're going to get better. Because I want, we were supposed to do the Metallica record. Uh, yeah, he didn't I want to do it. He said, no. Oh, Teddy, what? You didn't hear that? No. Teddy was supposed to do Metallica. Wow. In 1992, he, he, not, he, he did Rolling Stones' Love is Strong. Were you around with that? No, I wish I was. Okay. I was gone by then. Okay. 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 Metallica, wow. That's, um, well, he turned it down because he didn't want to venture off or? He didn't know enough of it. He wasn't prepared for it. Well, that's, that's amazing because most people would take the risk maybe fail and then that'll be it oh i'll tell you one thing i was so mad that i wasn't a part of the fucking tom jones thing oh i was oh, so mad about it. swing the lead and yeah <laughs> i wanted to do that because i'm a big tom jones fan okay yeah he's yeah he's from i mean i'm in england so he's out from where yeah, that was a ah oh, man growing up that that's my cousin michael and my brother Walter, and they they're the ones who turned me on to tom jones so i did left by the time he, he worked with tom yeah <laughs> I think he was supposed to do something for Barbara Streisand too. Wow! My goodness. But I, I, I guess, I guess what's been fascinating, and I, I think a lot of the Michael fan, you did Hollywood Tonight. So it's getting. Yeah. Yep. Was that? When was that done? Because the, it, you know the album came out after he died. But when was that done? Recorded? Was that part of the Dangerous or? Well. That's when that's that's when Michael passed away, and um, we got we just got the reels. Th those were done prior to Teddy even touching them. Oh, okay. Teddy was Teddy was actually asked to make it and finish it. Okay, so he called you back, or what? What? What, what did he? Do? Yeah, he called me back on that. Okay, okay, wow. I mean, it's been it's you know I'm sure that you know the, you know we. we, we 
you know, it's been almost an hour and a half and, and we probably didn't even get into any of the stories about Whitney and Bobby and then... And, and, and Not even close. <laughs> yeah, because that's actually, as I said, that's probably the, 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 the sound, those, the sounds on that album, um, it's, it is one of my favourites, you know, after, after the, um, sort of after the first, well, even the first guy, but that's, that, that Bobby album and stuff and, 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 but I, I heard from Father MC when he came down to do 69. Were you there at that time? No. Okay. But um, I guess it was just, just understanding. Um, so by, you, by the time you left, were you still checking back in? Because I know Big Bob had his album. I know Men of Vision came down there. So it was almost like everyone was... <laughs> As a matter of fact, Teddy called me up to do the Men of Vision record. <laughs> okay, the, the first one. And I, I, I actually, I love Big Bob for this. I was about to leave the music industry. What? Oh, yeah. And I think it was like, I think around 96, 97. And I was, get, I was really, you know, LA makes you get healthy. And I was really into it. And I said, I, I hated the politics. I hated everything about the politics. I wanted to do more rock music. They said, no hip-hop guy can do rock music. And the whole idea that Teddy picked me up with that because I mixed a rock record like a hip-hop record. Mm -hmm. I made it make sure that the drums were hitting you right in the chest, smacking you in your face because I didn't like all that reverb. That's why Teddy loved me so much. Yeah. Because I didn't, I didn't go for what everybody else was doing. Yeah. And I just can't put down too much on the fact is that um, – you know, I, you know, I stole Teddy's sounds and like there was a, there was a lot of shit going on, mm. a lot of just a lot of bullshit because everybody's trying to make their way in the music industry and I really didn't give a shit. Yeah. So I started doing some stuff and this guy named Tom Brown, who was the uh, uh, manager at Enterprise, he said, "John, um, I got a session for you. Would you mind doing it?" I said, "Yeah." He goes, "This call this guy named Tom Jefferson." I said, "I know Tom Jefferson. God rest his soul." Mm. He said, uh, go to McCall. I said, right. said, hey, Tom, this is uh, Jean-Marie. He goes, it's Jean-Marie? John, it's Tom. He said, Tom, Tom, Tom Jefferson? Big Bob Tom Jefferson? He goes, yeah. He goes, Bob needs you. He goes, Bob wants you. He goes, I'm glad you can't, can't go. He goes, that's all right. He goes, Bob wants you to do a session with him. I said, no problem. And if it wasn't for Bob, I would have left the music industry. Wow. I love Big Bob. And Timeless, I was on that record. You know, I, I, that's settled down. My way is my favorite track on that. Um, you know, even the Zoom, it, it was. Um, you know, a lot of people. It, it. I didn't understand why it didn't get to go triple platinum. It was probably production-wise and the sound and the vocals. Oh, Bub was amazing on that. Well, Bub was. A, you know, look. If it wasn't for Bub, we would have had a really hard time in, in the beginning stages of, of, of my career over down there. Because everybody tried to jockey in to get Teddy's ear, and uh -huh. Bub just shut everybody out. He goes, this this the guy you need to talk to? Stay away from this dude. Wow. That's how Bub was. Bub, Bub did not care. Bub did not care. <laughs> yeah, Bub's crazy. I yeah. love Bub. But see, that's the whole thing. It's like when you get a bunch of crazy people in the same room, yeah. not, you, can, you couldn't penetrate that. We had such a, an amazing, amazing time. You know, we just had an amazing time down in Virginia Beach. Wow. Yeah, and I guess as you guys, as, as 
as as you guys as because everyone's you know Pharrell talks about and even Timberland talks about when Teddy comes and all the stars will come in all of a sudden it gave everyone a sense of wow stuff could happen here and people for leaving New York and stuff and and I guess when you're getting big and successful it's quite easy for a lot of other things to come in and the the chemistry can start to to break and stuff but um I, I gotta tell you it it, it was. Teddy did something down at Virginia Beach. Um, I, you know, when we did the I Guess a Lonely remix, that's why I met Timbaland. And um, yeah, he did. He was also, he was credited for doing some beatbox. Okay. He was amazing. And then years later, I started working with Tim because he he found out I did the Omarion mixes for um, uh, for Entourage. I did the mix for mix that did that mix Entourage, and. Uh, I just fell in love with Tim. I really wish I was work, worked with Tim a little bit more. I think Tim is a lot of my production ideas is from Teddy. There's a lot of Teddyisms in there, but there's a yeah. lot of there's a lot of things that I learned from Tim. Um, and and Tim doesn't get really credited. I know I know we're talking about Teddy right now, but I have to say no, this. no, no. This isn't about yeah. Teddy. This was about you. So. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Timbaland does not get credited enough as a, a phenomenal producer. He is absolutely freaking amazing. I don't care what people say. I work with the man. We were doing something for, for Justin Timberlake. We were doing some stuff for Duran Duran, but we were doing something for Esme Denters that was signed to him, right? And King and Jerome was, was, uh, was supposed to do the remix to, to, for Esme, right? And they couldn't get the drums right. Tim comes walking in out of nowhere. He goes, what are you guys doing? He goes, we're doing drums, right? He goes, we having a hard time? He goes, yeah, well, why don't you do this? Four sounds. Four sounds. Jean, line that up. You're done. And he walked out. <laughs> Five minutes. Five minutes. That was the whole set. I looked at Ken Commissar, the president of, of, Tin, uh, of Tin Man at that time. I said, this is why Timbaland's a fucking beast. I don't give a shit what anybody says. Timbaland knows what he, he, he doesn't have to do everything, but he, you know, he doesn't. He brings, do you know what Timbaland does? He brings people up. Mm. He, know, he knows talent when he sees it. He, he could do everything. He, he's amazing. He'll figure the shit out. He's that amazing. Everybody likes to, downplay Tim or put or put Tim in a pedestal and there's like haters or not haters mm -hmm. let me tell you something y'all need to put Tim up here he's amazing him Dre I can't wait to meet Dre oh I can't wait to meet you still to this day I've never met Dre yet wow never met Dr. Dre you, you probably should have been on the no diggity <laughs> if you're still <laughs> you know what that 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 another level record by far teddy did the most amazing work on that and i know those those were teddy's mixes with junior with uh, this guy named george maris i love that kid when i left that if anybody wants to know who worked with teddy and who did all those mixes for teddy mm -hmm. after i left it was junior it was george maris mm -hmm. and he did such an amazing job with teddy on that yeah 
I mean, so for, for now, what's what's so going forward? I mean, we, I mean, just it was great. I mean, hearing your story from the back stuff and 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 those we need to have part two to this. You know that, right? Yeah, <laughs> definitely, I'm definitely because it'd be great just to hear. You know, you know, going forward. I mean, do you have stuff lined up producing wise, or are you still focusing on the mixing and then? Actually, right now, I am. I am. I'm proud to say that I am mixing uh, Trey Song's new album. Um, I think I got a lot of them. I don't know how much is going to be on the record, but I'm doing Robin Thicke's new album. Wow. And, um, um, then I'm doing, uh, I'm actually uh, writing and producing for uh, three artists right now. One of them is a kid named Preston, uh, Princeton Perez, who's a kid from Mindless Behavior. And I'm still doing stuff with Babe Animal and my artist that I'm working with, her name is uh, Alexa Ilsiwi. Um, she is part Peruvian and part Egyptian, wow. and she's uh, she is gorgeous. She's and here's the other thing: she's an ex-pro surfer. Okay, and she's phenomenal. And it's more like neoclassic soul with a little trap element into it. Wow. I think the final question I had is because the technology has changed things so much that everyone has a studio in their bedroom compared to like going to Hitch Factory and Lowerbury and, 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 and all those places. Are you still working at the big studios or do you, are you able to condense everything as well? Like, you know, Timberland has a little beatbox and stuff. <laughs> what are you doing? Okay, so prior to the COVID thing, um, it's so funny, that's, that's a great question to, to ask. Um, through my years, of working at Larrabee and all that, um, I had the opportunity to work at Babyface Studio for like six years. That was my that was my spot. Was that Brandon Way out in um, Edmund yes. Towers? I that was at Edmund Towers. Brandon Way, not Edmund Towers. Brandon Way. Okay, well, okay. That was my home for five years. Wow. Five six years, and there is where I came up with this concept. That and also Ann Maselli Studio called Jungle City. Hmm. If it wasn't for the and and and, and to put, put this on top of there, um, Robin Thicke. When we did Robin Thicke's record, we did that at his house wow. in a converted bedroom that they made as a studio. And that's where my ears started coming. So I have a studio in North Hollywood that I made with Paul Foley, who's the owner of Muse Studios. And it was not supposed to be, it, it was supposed to be like a home atmosphere. It's not technically inclined that way, but it feels and it sounds great. If you talk to my mastering guys, they'll tell you it, it's probably one of the best sounding rooms that they heard. And I did the same thing in my bedroom right here. I converted, I had to redo the, as you can tell, I'm still doing construction. I had to do a quick construction when the COVID thing happened. And mm -hmm. majority of mixes of Justine Sky, uh, PJ stuff, Robin stuff, and Trey Song stuff was done in this room. All the production stuff that I've been doing most recently were done in this room. And people are bugging the hell out. Wow. Um, so a lot of the stuff in my travels, through working through Larrabee, the things that I loved about each room and I try to convert in the room. But the one thing I, as I remembered, is like I said, my brain works a little differently. Yeah. When we write and produce, we don't write and produce normally in a major studio until you get the budget, right? Yeah. And those are the most unique sounds. Why? Because it was done in an uninhabited atmosphere. It was not, the imperfections make it perfect. 
And that's what I've been doing, trying to make an imperfect room perfect. Okay. So do you think you'd, you'd prefer smaller contained places? Yes. The sound as opposed to going back to Larrabee or Hits Factory? Well, there's a room in Larrabee that Manny, Manny American is a really close friend of mine. And Manny and I were talking, he wants me to come back to Larrabee. Um, there is one room that I want to try, that I want to test out. It's one of the new rooms. I think it's the Aqua Blue Room. Okay. I'm trying to test that out. But to me, it's like, I don't need a lot of influences because I, to me, it's like I can mix out of a tin can if I had to. Yeah. And my room, my room is kind of, kind of tight. I think a lot of it is the, the foot traffic, but no one's really coming to the mixes. Hmm. And, and the, the only time, the only time I really miss a big studio is when I cut vocals. Okay. Because okay. I need that containment. Because my room, the way I have my room, it's, it's, it's a little off, but that's what makes it so perfect. And a lot of people love being in my room because yeah. it's so tight. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's so tight. Yeah. I mean, Ted, Timmy Gatlin was saying that when they recorded Peace of My Love, that Aaron, in those early days, you sang in the, in, in the, in the, in the bathroom. bathroom. Yeah. In the bathroom, yeah. And I said, because if you listen to the original track, it sounds very muffled. He says, because... Aaron was more comfortable singing in the bathroom than going to the studio. So they kept that version and just sort of, as he says, about transporting it into the big studio. But the vocals there and then and how Teddy said he used to record Keep Sweat stuff in, in the mom's bathroom and stuff. But it's, I guess it's just amazing how, and, and you know, a lot of young beat makers, you know, they, they, they work on their laptops and stuff and they just use a room. And, and I think there's loads of all the stuff to try and filter out the background noise. And I wonder, does it mean that the bigger studios might lose the footfall going forward as technology keeps improving? Or do you think there will always be a need for a Larrabee's and a Hiss factory and, and all these There's places? always going to be a need. There's, oh, it, it, honestly, the only thing I really wish that these laptop producers would have more so is the ability to spread their stuff out on a console so they can expand their mind. But I try to explain to them, you can do that in every DAW. Uh, most of the Fruity Loop guys have been really expanding their minds, mostly the, the, uh, also the Ableton guys. But they're more, more into, in, in, into reconstruction of stuff. But if they had like someone like Dave Way, myself or somebody like that, spreading their stuff or spreading it inside their DAW, if you had a mirror image, and we're, and we're curating those sounds, mm. it, would be so much it would be so much different. Wow. Whether it be better or not, it'll be different. Yeah. Wow. But with, with, to me, it's like when people hear, and, and I'm not tooting my own, own horn, but I'm very proud of the sounds that I made around the Molly Mall time, which I call it, uh, these drum sounds that I made, um, that people, like I had a meeting last, last week with, uh, with uh, Keisha, which is Preston, uh, Princeton Perez's uh, uh, manager. He, she goes this, yo, your drums are sick. I said, they're not even mixed yet. And they said, well, how is that possible? See, this is where part two comes in. What I learned from Teddy and how I expanded that production from Virginia Beach. Mm. And it all, it, all, it, it all really stems on the fact is my son, Gianni, oh. came up to me. I said, John, do you like this? And he goes, no, dad. I said, wow. And then my wife comes up to me and she said, you should really ask him what he likes. And I was like, I was really such a, like a get off my lawn type guy. It's like, get off my lawn. You know, all these young kids that, what the hell do they know? And all this is because I became a musical snob and everybody becomes a musical snob 
one way or another. Mm. And it was my son who turns around and goes, Dad, I love this stuff. And this is the shit that I did before he was born. So I had to go back and not be a musical snob mm. to get my production sound. So my production sound comes from Machina. And then I transferred over to Logic. And that's a whole different sound. Wow. And that is something that I learned from Teddy. Because Teddy is the one who turned me on to Logic. He said, get off the NPC. And I just couldn't get off the NPC right away because there was a certain feel. Hmm. Now with Machina coming to my, my life, I have the NPC and then I go into Logic and it gives it a certain sound that I personally love. Yeah. And there it is. So wow. all my production really comes out of Logic and all my mixes that I do in, of my production comes out of Logic because there's a certain sound that I like. Wow. Now it doesn't make, doesn't make that, that Pro Tools is bad. Yeah. I just think there's a different sound to it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, you know, there's, there's, there's always a difference with, with, you know, I think when technology gets smaller and more um, accessible, it loses, it has to, to make it accessible for many, it loses certain things in order to, you know, cost and everything. Um, hence, they could go to the moon in the 60s, but they can't go now because even though the technology is better, but it's like, well, it's going to cost so much more, you know, it's a very strange concept. Our final question is, if you were stuck in an elevator for about two or three hours and they said, look, we can give you, you can watch a movie, what would you want to watch while we get you out? Oh, God. Escape from Alcatraz. <laughs> 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 no, uh, a, a movie. Um, probably something com comical, you know, like... Um, one of my favorite funny movies is um, uh, the, the, either The Dirty Dozens or uh, Kelly's Heroes is one of my favorite movies. Okay. There's a lot of great actors in there. And it's a really good movie. Yeah. I mean, that's what the, the whole jest was to see what your favorite movie was. But if you, if you had a chance, you tend to then think of your favorite movie. Like, you know, I'd rather, I could just watch this without thinking of beats and stuff. Um, Song-wise, though, they say, "Look, we're going to put the movie in, but you know, we'll play a track before we can get the tape in." What would you want to listen to? Dark Side of the Moon. No, not the whole album. Just the sing. I'm just thinking about this, uh, the track. <laughs> That's three hours. Dark Side of the Moon, the whole album. <laughs> <laughs> um, one song. One song in particular. It would have to be something from Stevie Wonder. It would have to be because even even a sad song from Stevie, there's some joy to it. Yeah. You know, it could be it could be always uh, "Golden Lady" is one of my one of my all time favorite songs. Um, I do a lot of production listening to with that. Because a lot of people will always ask where you come. See, you always as a mixer and also as a producer, you always have to reinvent yourself. Mm. And I go back to get forward. Wow. wow. So anything like if we had to really think about uh, a song, yeah, one song, something, anything from Stevie Wonder. Anything from okay. Anything from Stevie Wonder. Um, as for movies, uh, I mean, the, just the, you know, just the just the fun of it. Because I like a lot of a lot of chaos. Yeah, it probably has to be Kelly's Heroes. I like that movie a lot. Okay. Um, but if that if, if if there was something that's going to be playing over the 
over the intercom system, it would have to be Dark Side of the Moon. Okay. Yeah, that's a, yeah, legendary album and stuff. Yeah. You know what, we have to I really appreciate the, uh, the, the, the walk through history and stuff. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the things where, as I said, they don't do it anymore now because, you know, you hear a lot of stuff, um, Spotify and digital, so you don't buy the CD, you don't look at the credits. But back in the day when you get a, a record, especially when the CDs came out, not the tapes as much, the CDs, you know, we'd all go through it and see, okay, who did this and who did this? And so, yeah. so, but we don't get that anymore. So you might be doing a lot of things, but it's quite hard to, to, to for us to see your credits. Now the industry will see where it is and, you know, for your role to test, but we, we, it's harder for the fans to get a picture as to who's doing what and, and the consistency and say, yeah, now I can, I can, I can hear, I can hear John Silent's song and I can hear his, his touch in this remix and all this mix or this production stuff and I, I think that's the sad thing we've lost with the way the technology is going to and stuff but it was a pleasure and an, an honor definitely to to hear your memories and stuff I'm sure that we could have gone on for hours just listening to some of this stuff but <laughs> oh god I, 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 I there's so many stories behind this it's like it's, <laughs> there's so many great stories that uh, you know hopefully we can get a part two out of the deal maybe no, definitely. Talk, maybe talk about productions and and engineering productions like what I took from Teddy and what I took from Teddy in the mixing world to the production world and what his ear was what 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 I can honestly say as, as we close this yeah. is if it wasn't for Teddy Raleigh I would never have a career and that's God's honest truth. You know I think a lot of people would be surprised the fact that he just picked you with very little experience to work on some of the most high-profile Thing of his, we could have made or break him. Then Michael stuff, you know, he's because he he's told everyone about how his old manager left him for broke, and then he was almost yes. just yeah. Three uh, three times almost got fired off the Michael record. He'll tell you that if you haven't talked to. Goes John Marie said he almost got fired three times, but there were life changing sounds on Michael records that people use to this day. Which which particular tracks did where you could was it dangerous? Dangerous. I almost got, oh my God, I almost got fired. Oh my God. That's and it turned out to be the Dolby. It was, all right, so real quick. <laughs> uh, I, I missed a step, encoding or decoding. I forgot which one to do because we had the Dolby SRs and I messed up somewhere. But it gave this sound. And I said, fuck it. When Teddy wakes up, I'll, I'll explain to him. I, I really thought I was going to get fired. I said, Teddy, I think I fucked up but I think it sounds good. You should come listen to this. He goes, all right, man. And he listened to it, goes, yo, John, this sounds really, really good. So Teddy had to break the bad news to Bruce mm -hmm. Redeen. <laughs> it became the Dolby SR effect. Whoa. My mistake was probably one of my blessings. My goodness. Did, did, yeah, did Michael hear it? What did he think when he, when he heard it? Or did... I love it. <laughs> Michael was into sounds. He loved it. We yeah, made it. We made it, we made it sound great. Bruce finished it up. He was. I thought, man. I thought Bruce was gonna hate me. He goes, all well, those are great mistakes. Never <laughs> mistakes. Just new innovation. That was Bruce. How was Bruce? Because Bruce. he was. He was used to. You know. He. You know. Both he and Quincy, old school sort of thing, and 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 a sort of a structure. And you. You've got. Just young Teddy Riley coming in, and you've got his Maverick engineer. He was more forward way thinking than Teddy. Are you kidding me? Wow. 
Come on, Teddy. We need to get those kick drums punchier. Wow. He, all right, put it to this way. He was the first one that was making the sounds. He would take a water bottle, like a five-gallon five water bottle, yeah. and he made an 808 with it. He's the one who told us about the MPC, at the MPC 60s, that they were minus 10 on the individual outputs, and his was modified by Bruce Forat that was plus four on all the outputs. Bruce was ahead of its time. Bruce is bad, man. That's all I got to say. Bruce is bad, man. Wow. <laughs> I, I guess you're the envy when you have, when you talk to your engineers, like, look, my first gig was, was going on Toad Guy, working on the micro stuff, and then all of a sudden doing the Bobby and Whitney and just, just countless stuff. And, you know, it's, a, it's been an amazing ride. And I'm sure your family <laughs> would be like, maybe you shouldn't have gotten a real job because we can see <laughs> the success that you've gotten so far. But yeah, <laughs> yeah but I, I, I would definitely try and, and get back, you know, because I think, you know, maybe if we, if we were to come back and then think about some of the, the albums in more details and just get a, an understanding about that. But it was good just getting sort of an overview of your career. Absolutely. And everything. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But I appreciate stay, taking the time today and stuff. It was it, my pleasure. Thanks for watching. Please remember to subscribe to the channel but most importantly to press the notification bell so that you can be notified when we do have a new interview. Loads to come, but thanks a lot for watching.